Colossians chapter 3, verses 15 through to 17. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to the which also ye are called in one body. And be ye thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatsoever ye do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by him. The peace of God. These verses to me are like a sweet summer day in the country by a still lake. All is peaceful. All is quietness and sweetness. All is still. The word that meets us there and the word that I highlight in the text this morning is the word peace. The peace. It's almost personified in the text. Talks about it ruling. Whenever we talk about something ruling and governing and, as it were, overseeing, we tend to think of a person who does that. And here is peace. And it's doing that. It's overseeing. It's it's holding umpire. It's It's refereeing, as the word suggests, we'll see when we we come to it. This tranquility, this calmness, this stillness, it is a picture, these verses, of wonderful contentment. There's giving of thanks. There's singing. There's a being satisfied just with the word of God. Beautiful verses. So much contentment. And this word peace, highlighted, it really, really brings that out. And that picture is what the Christian ought to be. This ought to be every child of God. Sadly, it is sometimes not so, which is why there is this call in our text to let it, allow it, to rule and reign in your heart. But the saint ought to have this peace ruling. The sheep ought to be like those sheep in Psalm 23 that we often sing together and many times hear read and very frequently quote. And to me, Psalm 23 is nearly like a parallel passage to these verses that we're looking at today. It's an illustrative picture of it. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. There's peace here. There's every need supplied. There is the being made to lay down in the green pastures. There is the leading beside the still waters. Peace. Contentment. This is what the shepherd brings the flock into. This is what the shepherd brings the sheep to. He he restores my soul. He heals the broken bones. 
He leads me in the path of righteousness for his namesake. Even when I go through the valley of the shadow of death, he's there. And his rod and his staff, even there, they comfort me. I have a table. And while I am surrounded by so many enemies, the Lord has me tucked in there at his table. And it is well prepared and well furnished and even a cup that runs over. The peace of God. Here's the happy Christian. The happy man depicted for us. Again, it is illustrated by the Psalm 1. The happy man, the happy Christian. He's not in the council of the ungodly. He's not in the halls of wickedness and agitation and disturbance. He's not standing in the way of sinners who have no peace of God ruling in their hearts whatsoever. And he's not sitting, certainly, in the seat of the scornful. But you see, he, his delight is in the law of the Lord. And he meditates on a day and night, and this word is richly dwelling in his heart. And he's like a tree that's fruitful. There by the rivers of the water that Psalm 23 tells us about. Psalm 23 and Psalm 1, they come together and they're illustrative of our text this morning. The stillness, the peace, the joy, the contentment. And concerning our text, we can also say, in the words of Psalm 1, the ungodly are not so. No peace of God. They are not in the summer day of serenity and contentment and rest, but in the storms and waves of inner turmoil and ceaseless agitations. The ungodly are not so, but are like the chaff which are blown about in the wind. No stillness by the river there. No sweetness of grace there to rest in. No Savior to take away the burdens there. Not only is the peace not ruling and not governing in the hearts of the wicked, it is utterly absent. Not present at all, but as the Bible tells us, the wicked are like the troubled sea. When it cannot rest, whose waters cast up mire and dirt. There is no peace, saith my God to the wicked. None whatsoever. No peace ruling, no peace reigning, no peace holding umpire in the soul, no peace present just misery, just all the symptoms that go with misery, the restless waves of Christless discontent and unending sinful murmuring and complaining. No peace, says God to them. And there is a reason why they don't have peace. 
the Bible tells us, the way of peace they do not know. They don't know the way, you see. The way to obtain the peace, the way to have the peace, they don't know what it is because they don't go in the way that is it is obtained in a way of faith in Christ and repentance from sin. They don't know the way. And therefore they don't have it. They don't know Christ, who is the Prince of Peace. And therefore the peace of God is not ruling in their hearts. You notice what it is called. The Apostle is very careful to tell us it is the peace of God. And having underlined the word peace, you know, really these verses are going to be like a rainbow Bible. If you study them well, everything's going to be underlined and everything's going to be highlighted. There's going to be different colors here. This, this is a, a rainbow text of God. It's the peace of God. God gives it. It's heaven's gift. It doesn't come from the earth. It doesn't come from below. It's not man-made. It's the gift of grace to sinners, because that's all we are. It's the gift of grace to sinners through Jesus Christ, the Prince of Peace. There, of course, must be first peace with God before there is the peace of God. Paul is not speaking of peace with God. He's dealt with that in the earlier chapters. He's coming to something subjective now within the heart the peace of God. But that is the proper order, peace with God, and that's what the apostle has dealt with, peace through the blood of his cross, and now the peace of God. Acquaint now thyself with him and be at peace. That's the order. You don't have peace, sinner. The peace of God, because you don't have peace with God. That's the problem. Christians have made peace with God through Jesus Christ and their faith in Christ and their union to Christ. And having that union with Christ, they are entitled to the gift of Christ's peace in their hearts. And they have this peace. It comes through the Word. It comes through the promises of God. It comes through the indwelling Spirit. And it comes through conscientious, godly living. We learn about peace at the very start of the New Testament story, don't we? It is the most interesting thing that peace is a theme that surrounds the first advent. The coming of the Lord Jesus Christ into the world in the birth. But right at the start of these things, we are learning of, of peace. Unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. And among all the great names that he has, this is the last one in that great list. Last, but by no means the least, the Prince of Peace. Peace is the last word. 
He's the Prince of Peace. It comes through Christ. What did the father of John the Baptist, when he got his tongue back and he could speak again on the very eve of Christ's arrival into the world, what did John the Baptist's father say? Through the tender mercy of God, he says, the day spring from on high has visited us to guide our feet into the way of peace. This is why he's come. To show us and lead us into the way of peace. Into the way of the peace of God. And in the darkness and in the shadow of death there's no peace. Until this day spring shines upon us and guides our feet through grace into that way of peace. And so in a dark, lost, unconverted estate, there is no peace. And that's a great hallmark of all the ungodly. It's why they are into the drugs. It's why they're into this. It's why this, the pleasure industry is so prosperous. It's, it's why all of these things are upheld by so much of their finances. It's a great pursuit of peace. But they never find it, you know. No matter how many sports events they go to, no matter how many cinemas they visit, no matter how much they pay, no matter what drug they obtain, no matter what new thing, new fangled thing comes into their presence, it matters not. There is no peace to the wicked. Christ is the peace. The angel, whenever he was announcing the sign and having finished that, the whole company of the heavenly host, they sing together, and together they say, on earth, peace. Couldn't say that before. That's a new word. That's a new experience that comes in the advent of Jesus Christ on earth now, peace. You can have the peace of God. Remember old Simeon? Takes the child up, the Christ child up in his arms. Ah, now Lord, you can let your servant go in peace. Peace is the dominant word. Only through Christ. And his public ministry, the Lord Jesus Christ, whenever he got older and became a mature man, commenced his ministry, his ministry aimed at giving rest to the weary. Did he not say, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, I'll give you rest. I'll bring you peace. I'll take your burdens away. I'm meek and lowly in heart. You'll find rest to your souls. Come to me. How quick the Savior was to comfort those who had no rest if they but came to him. All that believe received the promise of rest. Remember how he said so often, go in peace. Remember that woman of Canaan? Or that woman, the woman with the issue of blood, rather. 
she was full of misery and she was trembling and she was full of fears and she just thought she would sneak in and get a healing and go away. But she may be healed, you know, but uh, she, she wouldn't have really peace about it all because it, it wasn't a very nice thing to obtain healing in that way and not glorify the Lord. And, and so the Lord wouldn't have her going away just healed in misery, sneaking up behind and kind of flying out. No, 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 the Lord brought her to peace. And he brought her out, and he brought her to a place where he could say to her, Now go, go in peace. You can go in peace now. The Lord isn't just interested in saving us. He wants us to have the peace. The peace of God. So the child of God can go out and have this ruling in his heart. Go in peace. Remember the woman in the city who was a great sinner. And she washed her Lord's feet, you know. And she kissed them too and anointed them with ointment. And what did the Lord say to her? Woman, thy thy faith hath saved thee. Go in peace. Go in peace. Remember how in the upper room they're all distressed. I'm going away. I'm going to leave you. But what does the Lord say? Peace. I leave with you. My peace I give unto you. The peace of God. Don't let your heart be troubled. Neither, neither let it be afraid. I give you my peace. Do you remember after the resurrection, before he leaves them, he says, peace be unto you. In fact, the text actually says, Jesus said to them again. Again, because he's saying it all the time. As my Father have sent me, so I send you. Go in peace. And so the child of God, the evangelist, the Christian witness, there's one thing he requires to be, to be a good witness. Peace. The peace of God. To be still and to know that God is God. The tranquility and the ability to rest in him. Knowing that Christ is his Savior and knowing that heaven is his house and home. This is the inheritance of the saints, people of God. This is your birthright. Because the text says that the saints are called to it in one body. There's not one member of the body that is outside this inheritance. Every member of the body is called in one body. All of us together are called to the peace of God ruling. So you're included this this morning if you're a Christian. You can't say, well, I'm not entitled to this peace and I don't deserve this peace and I can't have this peace. You ought to. It is your birthright as a Christian for the whole church to be contented today as we read in that great psalm, and that's the reason why we read it, and giving the explanation that I did when we did read it, the Lord will give strength unto his people. The Lord will bless his people with peace. With peace. I will hear what God the Lord will speak, every Christian says. Why is a Christian so eager to listen to God speak? 
I will hear what God the Lord will speak, for he will speak peace unto his people. But, there's always a but, isn't there? There's always a warning because we're so foolish, even as God's people. But, please do not return again to your folly. Thou will keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee, because he trusteth in thee. Lord, thou wilt ordain peace for us, the church can say. The peace of God, of which Paul is writing here, is a wonderful thing. In fact, in another epistle, a a similar epistle, the epistle to the Philippians, the peace of God, which he there describes, he says also concerning it, that it passeth all understanding. And so it does. It's an amazing thing, the peace of God, passing all understanding, keeping our minds and our hearts. It can't be fathomed, the peace of God. It can't be explained. There's something not only sweet and beautiful about it, There's something not only wonderful about it, there's something incomprehensible about it. Passes understanding, it boggles the mind. It defies certainly the understanding of the unconverted. They can't understand it. They can't explain it. They can't fathom it. How Christians can surmount this world's trials how they can maintain their joy in the midst of it all, how they can go on. It passes understanding. This peace is so important in the child of God as a witness because, well, the the world is looking after peace and seeking peace. And if there's a people that they should find having that peace, it's the people of God. And so it's one of our greatest witnesses to be content, just to be calm. And we don't have to moan and groan and complain and act like unhappy, miserable sinners. As Paul said, I've learned, he says, in whatever state I am, just, just to be content. If saints are discontent and murmuring and acting like restless men and manifesting all the symptoms of an agitated and not knowing any peace, what does the world think? What what would they think? They think, well, there's nothing in that. There's nothing in that Christianity. It's no different from any other religion. It's whenever they see our peace. It's whenever they see the joy that the saints of God have, the contentment, even in their troubles and trials and storms, that that they get the grace to go on. It's in that that they see the power of Christianity. And whenever they see that peace in the child of God, they, they cannot understand it. It passes their understanding. Remember how the apostle said, you you took joyfully the spoiling of your goods. Imagine that. How can anybody take joyfully the spoiling of their goods? Because at such a time, the grace of God comes to that child of God and fills him with peace. And he says, oh, this peace is so great. It's so wonderful. Ah, I'm really glad my goods went. That's the way it is. 
The world can't understand that, you know. Can't fathom that. You remember how the saints, they got a good telling off, and they departed from the presence of the council, rejoicing, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. They had peace. That's why James could tell the early Christians in Jerusalem, and they knew something about trials and troubles, but he could tell them, he says, count it all joy when you fall into divers' trials. Do you remember Paul and Silas at Philippi? They received of many stripes, roughly handled, threw into the dungeon, the darkest dungeon and the tightest and hardest chains made fast to their ankles. And at midnight, can't get any darker. Can't get any deeper in misery. Can't get any worse. What did they do? They sang praises to God. And they prayed. That's what they could do. They had the peace. It had not been knocked out of its place. There it was. It was still ruling. It was still reigning in them. Wasn't knocked out of its place at all. Even though the wickedness of men done everything that they could to make them poor Christians as miserable. They did everything they could. But what's Paul doing? You know what he's doing, brethren and sisters? He's living out our text. That's what he's doing. The words dwelling in him richly, and he's singing it out. He's singing with grace in his heart to the Lord. He's living out Colossians 3, verses 15 to 17. He didn't just preach it. He lived it. He experienced it. He entered into it. He knows what he's writing about. He is experiencing the song that the indwelling word gives, even at midnight, and in a dungeon, and with chains held fast to his feet. So Paul and Silas are men where the peace is ruling in their hearts. And the world can see it. And that jailer saw it. He hasn't peace. He's about to go out and commit suicide. He's he's in misery. But he saw it. And those that they were jailed with saw it as well. Why did they not flee off and run away when all their chains went? They stayed with Paul and Silas because they know God is with these men. They know that they have something they don't have. They know that they have peace. And so the jailer said, what must I do to be saved? And the jail didn't flee. They can't understand this peace, but they see it. And the jailer wanted to have it and to experience and he sought it and found it in Christ. And they they spake the word of the Lord to him. You know the whole story? And then he's changed. He has a peace of God now and he washes their stripes and then he's baptized and He's rejoicing, it says, with all his house. He's a new man, and the peace of God is ruling. It even passes the understanding of Christians at times. Even saints 
are amazed at the baptisms of peace that they receive in their sorest trials. It's an amazing thing. It passes the understanding. They can't comprehend it. Sometimes it, it seems to them that it grows and multiplies in adversity. And in the storm it seems stronger than ever. And all of God's people have experienced this to a greater or lesser degree. In persecution it flourishes. And the Christian is standing back and he kind of looks at himself and he says, I shouldn't be coping. I, I shouldn't be able to cope with it. Ordinarily I wouldn't get on with this. What's happening to me? Well, why am I content in this storm? I should normally be terrified and at my wit's end, and I would naturally sink under all of this. But instead, I find myself upheld. I find a peace. I find a tranquility. I am unable to rest and wait quietly for God. And many of God's people have testified that in the worst storm has been the greatest peace. It passes understanding. I have to stress and point out that the apostle is speaking of an internal thing, a tranquility such as the Word and the Spirit and a good conscience brings. I point out the recurring expression, and now you have to get another color pen out here, in you. In you. Let the peace of God rule in your hearts. We're, thinking, we're talking about something inside us. In our hearts. Let the word of Christ dwell in you. In you richly. Singing with grace in, in, in your hearts. In your hearts. Pause. This is one of the most searching scriptures in his epistle. Getting right down into the heart, right down into the Christian breast, in your heart. It must be in your heart. Christianity isn't all external, brothers and sisters. It has a subjective effect in your hearts. And so the apostle is highlighting the inward state of the saints in their hearts and minds, deep within their souls, this tranquility, this serenity, this contentment. This peace is like a river gently flowing through the life. Oh, that thou hadst hearkened to my commandments, God says. Then had thy peace been as a river. Peace like a river, the poet said, is flooding my soul. Since Christ my Savior maketh me whole, sweet peace abiding, my portion shall be. Jesus my Savior is precious to me. You see the kind of a Christian that the peace of God leads to in our text? The kind of Christian that it makes it transforms saints to be bursting with thankfulness, giving thanks. Let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to the which you're called in one body, and be ye thankful. And then it leads to singing. It leads to the word of God being brought into the heart to dwell richly. And it leads to singing, singing with grace in your hearts. I said in a previous sermon that the paragraph, verses 12 to 17, 
form a, a kind of a final word of application to all the saints as a body before he goes to individualize the various groups, wives, husbands, so on and so forth. This is the last word mainly to the whole body. And the paragraph to saints in verses 12 to 17 is divided into two. And we said that there is one word that characterizes the first part and there's another word that characterizes the second part. The word that characterizes the first part is the word love. And the word that characterizes the second part is the word thankful. It brackets in actual fact the second part. Thankful, the word, the verb occurs twice there at the start and at the end. And between those two parts, the love and the thankfulness, between those two parts is, is this expression, the peace of God. The very middle. Because a soul at peace will love. He's no need to be bitter and resentful and malicious. He has peace. He has no reason to be murmuring and complaining, but he is humbly giving thanks for the very little that he has because he has peace. Ruling in the midst. That's why the apostle has arranged his words thus to put in the very center of this paragraph this expression, the peace of God ruling. And so the soul at peace will not be malicious and unhappy and restless and ungrateful. But he will obey these calls to put on love and to be thankful and to give thanks through God to God through Jesus Christ. Happy is the man in this text saturated with the word, singing with grace in his heart, rejoicing, a heart of grace, grace in your heart. Brethren and sisters, what is in our hearts? Singing with grace in your hearts. What is in our hearts? That's why we should never let anger get in. Or our resentfulness or bitterness. Don't, don't let it get in. Sweet grace. Sweet grace and sweet peace ruling and reigning in your hearts. Doing and working for Christ's sake out of all of that, whatsoever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus. This peace then is so important. It umpires, it rules. And we finally come to that word and we have another colored pen here. Rule. Ruling. The verb rule has as its subject the word peace. Peace rules. Peace is to rule. As I said, it's almost personified. The sense is let, let peace decide. Let peace arbitrate. Let peace referee. Let peace make the decision. Let peace rule. You know the umpire in a cricket match? He decides if the ball's inside or outside the line, or, or he decides if the leg was before the wicket and the leg's hit so that the wicket is, is shielded from it. He, he has to umpire. Or the referee, 
Are the linesman in the football match, in the soccer match, everything's going away. Everybody's doing their business. Everyone's happy, involved in the play, in the game, in the life, going on, and they're just content. But then something happens. There's a foul. And what happens when there's a foul? The peace goes, doesn't it? Because there's a big whistle. The whistle's blown. The game's stopped. Everything has to be halted. And something has to take place. A decision has to be made. Something has to be rectified and remedied. And there has to be the restart again. And the child of God is like that. He goes through life. He he does all for the glory of God. He seeks to be a sincere Christian. And sometimes he goes down a wrong course. Or he does something that's wrong. What's the first indication? The peace goes, doesn't it? It's not ruling anymore. The game's stopped. In a course of action, if you have no peace, don't go down that route. If something disturbs your peace, causes it to blow its whistle, then you have to let that go. If your peace of God can't work or cope with that thing, you have to let it go. That thing has to go or be abandoned. Now, of course, all of this is parallel with a heart that's filled with the Word of God and indwelt by the Holy Spirit. And where the child of God is being obedient to his will, all of these things are working together. And when they're in harmony, there is peace. But when something goes out of place, if peace is disturbed and you become unhappy in your Christian life and you experience symptoms of misery and display symptoms of misery and it's telling you something's not right, And so the Christian knows when his tranquility is no longer controlling. He knows when he's lost his peace. He knows he's doing something that has to be repented of. And when he does repent of it, the peace will return. And so this is what the apostle means about this great thing. God God has given his people peace. But don't let them turn again to folly because that will disturb it. So let it rain, child of God. Let it have umpire. Nourish it and cherish it. Conscientiously sustain it. And may God multiply it to us and bless us with it in his marvelous grace. And he's always quick to restore it to us again when we come to him and say, Lord, I'm sorry. Forgive me. And wash me. And renew me against going down a similar course again. Let us pray.